I want you to think about a vineyard. Imagine you're driving past or walking through a vineyard. Many of you have probably been, visited a vineyard. Uh, Maybe when you think about a vineyard, you think about like the rolling, lush hills of Napa Valley. Or maybe you think of the verdant greens of Bordeaux, France. But I want you to think of a different vineyard. I want you to think of a vineyard in the Middle East, specifically in Israel. It might look more like this. There's not as much... uh, not as much rain in the Middle East, obviously. There's not as, much, as many resources. And so in the Middle East uh, and in Israel, if you're in a vineyard, it's incumbent upon the vintner or the gardener to take really good care of the plants and do everything that he or she can to make sure that they bear much fruit. Right? But with that backdrop, I like to think that Jesus was walking past or walking through a vineyard near the life uh, when he gives his disciples the instructions we're going to hear today from John chapter 15. Uh, Now, Bible doesn't tell us that, but we do know that Jesus was a very visual teacher, right? That we know that he, uh, last week we talked about a story where he helped some fishermen catch some fish, and then he told them they were going to go fish for men. Jesus liked to use visual examples when he taught. So I can just imagine, he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he walks past a vineyard or through a vineyard, and that's where we come to John chapter 15. He's near the end of his life, he's on his way Uh, to the cross, and this is what he tells them. John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so, man, this is such a rich passage of Scripture. It's become, I think, one of my favorite passages, probably one of my favorite things that Jesus said uh, in his three and a half years of ministry on earth. And on the surface, it looks like at the end of his life, he's reminding his disciples that they need to abide in him, as some of the translations say, or remain in him. That the, that the main story there is, hey, you've got to stay connected to me. And that's such an important thing for all of us. If we're followers of Jesus, we've got to stay connected to Jesus that apart from him, we can bear no fruit. But I think there's something else in this verse that we miss if we just kind of gloss over it. And I think it's a summary of Jesus's three and a half years of ministry and how he made disciples. You know, uh, when you look at the command that Jesus gave us right before he ascended into heaven, Matthew 28, we talked about uh, this last week. Jesus said, therefore go, and we said, no, that means as you go. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That that's our command. We call it the Great Commission in the church. That that's our commission is to go and make disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's every much your commission as it is mine. 
Some people will hear that and they think, well, it's the church's job to go and make disciples. Yeah, I agree. The church's job to go and make disciples. If we are going to be a disciple-making church, that means that many of us have to be out making disciples. Jesus saw this. He understood that. And so when he gave us that command, I think he's also given us a pattern. There's a pattern as we look at Jesus' life for making disciples. And some of us have been doing that. Some of you have been doing that. And so that's why we get to celebrate a few times a year baptisms. Because we've got people in our church that are out making disciples. And like I said, we've got one this service and two next service that we're going to celebrate here. But first of all, I've got to get through week eight of the Son of Man series. So we're, what we've been doing for the last eight weeks is we've been in a series called The Son of Man, Walking as Jesus Walked. And it's based on this verse from 1 John 2, 6, where the Apostle John says, Anyone who claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. And so that's what we've been talking about for the last seven weeks. How do we walk as Jesus walked? And we said, well, he gave us a pattern that, that we could follow for our lives. And uh, so Jesus, uh, <clears throat> he uh, had six resources that we've talked about that he relied on. Six things that we said, hey, we can rely on these things too. And we've used this acronym, Holy Spirit Power, or HS Power. And so uh, the first, uh, second week, actually, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit in such a way that everybody around him recognized there was something different about him. We see that all throughout Scripture. And then week two, we talked about prayer and how more than 40 times in Scripture we see Jesus in prayer with his heavenly Father. And we talked about obedience and said obedience is a weird thing to say as a resource, right? But that Jesus was always obedient. He got 100% on his obedience exam, and he was obedient even to death on a cross. And then we talked about the Word of God and how Jesus had access to written scriptures and that he studied them growing up and he had to learn them and he had to grow in them and that we can do that too. Jesus used scripture to resist temptation and to make major life decisions and we can do the same thing with the Word of God. And then we talked about exalting the Father and how Jesus was a master at pointing people back to his Father God and saying, hey, I do nothing except what my Father tells me to do. I say nothing apart from what he gives me to say. Um, I can do nothing except that he gives me the power to do it. And then last week we talked about relationships and how Jesus was intentional in his three and a half years of relationships, uh, three and a half years of ministry at being in relationships. And we even talked about how uh, in the second half of his ministry, the last 18 months, we see Jesus 17 times with the masses and 43 times with the few. So the He spent more and more time with fewer and fewer people as Jesus' ministry progressed. And last week, you may remember, I said that was part seven, part one, and this is part seven, part two. And the reason I said that is because Jesus is going to give us today this model for making disciples, and disciple-making is all about relationships. It's completely relational. And what we see is Jesus progresses through his life and through his ministry as we see him investing more and more time in what will eventually become 12 men that will become his apostles. And I think the best way to see this is to look at four progressively harder challenges that Jesus issues to them over the course of his ministry. And we're going to represent these with these four chairs. And so each challenge represents, or each chair represents a challenge. And so they are these, come and see, follow me, fish for men, and go and bear fruit. Come and see, follow me, fish for men, and go and bear fruit. And the way to think about this in our lives as we think about making disciples, I think the best way to think about this is that just about everyone we know can fit in one of these four chairs. All right, And, and I'm going to explain what they are here in a minute, but just about everybody that you work with, everybody that's in your neighborhood, everybody in this church fits into one of these four chairs. 
And so let's look at those. Look, let's look at the four challenges that Jesus issued and what that means for the people around us. Uh, the first challenge we see very early in his ministry, not long after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil for 40 days, he comes back out, and he runs into two guys, John and Andrew. In John 1.38, we see this challenge. They've got questions, and uh, Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. They're asking all these questions. Jesus says, come and see. It's a low bar, right? It's, uh, it's what we might do if we invite somebody to church. Come and see. We would call somebody who's in this chair a seeker. Chair one person is a seeker. A seeker is a person who is interested in spiritual things, but they're not yet following Jesus. And so we invite somebody in chair one to take a bigger challenge. Now, there are chair one people all around you. There are chair one people that you work with. There are chair one people that you go to school with. There are chair one people in this church. And if you're here today and you're in chair one, you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I am so glad that you're here. We love that you're here. And we want you to keep coming and bring your questions and bring your doubts. And I think what you'll find is that, well, we don't have all the answers, all right? But as a church, we feel like we have the big answer, the answer to eternal life. And our hope, our desire is, if you're in chair one, if you're a seeker, and you keep coming, that eventually that you'll find, too, that we have the answer to eternal life. And so Jesus invited people to come and see, uh, to come and find Jesus. And when they were ready, and only when they were ready, he invited them to take the second challenge. And the second challenge we find first in John 1.43. We see it with Philip, and Jesus invites him to follow me. He says, come and follow me. In John 1.43, he says that. And so uh, the person in chair two, we would call a follower. It's somebody who's decided to follow Jesus. In fact, a follower is anyone who submitted their life to Jesus as Lord of their life. And that's a follower of Jesus, okay? So chair one is a seeker, chair two is a follower. To make this leap is a really big deal, all right? To make this leap, you've got to go through the cross. To make this leap, you have to submit your life to Jesus, This is a big deal. We celebrate when people go from chair one to chair two because it is the difference between, well, the Bible calls uh, chair one people, often calls chair one people lost. Uh, And in a couple places, it refers to them as spiritually dead. Chair two people are eternally alive. And so when we make the jump from chair one to chair two, we go from spiritual death to eternal life. That's a big deal, right? And so we celebrate that. This is, this is where baptism should happen, by the way. When you make that jump from chair one to chair two, when you decide, I'm going to submit my life to Jesus, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus, this is where baptism happens. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that make this leap. They're in chair one. They go to chair two. They decide, I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of my life. I said, great, get baptized. And they say, well, you know what? I'm not ready yet. Uh, I still got to clean my life up a little bit. I got some stuff I got to do. Like there's some kind of behavioral modification that needs to take place before you make that public proclamation. That's not how it works, folks. Every place in Scripture where we see somebody getting baptized and we know their story, it's at the very beginning of their ministry. Jesus got baptized at the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, We see in the book of Acts, Philip runs into an Ethiopian man on the road, and he leads him to Christ. And then the man says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, there's water right there. Let's do it now. And so if you're here and you've made that leap to chair two, but you've not yet been baptized, I want to tell you there's water there. What's preventing you from doing it? today. In fact, we've got shorts, we've got t-shirts, we've got towels, we've got everything you need 
to get baptized today. We would love to do that either at the end of this service or after this service or in the next service today. So chair one, uh, seeker. Chair two is a follower. Some people stay here a long time. This is a very comfortable chair. Chair two is a follower of Jesus. This is a very comfortable chair. And so some people stay here a long time. But when they were ready, Jesus issued the next challenge to his followers. And it's the chair three challenge. And the chair three challenge is the one we looked at last week. And we see it in Matthew 4.19, among other places, where Jesus tells people, all right, follow me, and I'll teach you to fish for men. So we're going to fish for people in this chair. We're going to become fishers of people. And last week when we talked about this, we said this wasn't the first time that Jesus had run into these men. Peter, James, and John were standing by the shore in the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. And Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And they drop their nets, and they leave everything and follow him. And so many times we think, well, that's the first time they ran into him. But no, Jesus had 18 months of investing in these guys, probably 18 to 21 months of investing in these guys. He found them in chair one, and he moved them to chair two. And when they were ready, he challenged them to go to chair three and to become fishers for men. Jesus had a relationship with these people. When somebody gets to chair three, we would call them a kingdom worker, a kingdom worker. And so a kingdom worker is anyone who is intentionally helping others follow Jesus. And so while a chair two person may say, I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. In fact, chair two is where you uh, learn things like your identity in Christ and how to pray and how to follow the Holy Spirit and how to read scripture. That's what you do in chair two. And so chair two people may say, I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. Chair three people say, help others grow in their relationship with Christ. And so when you become a chair three person, your priorities shift. They change. They're no longer about your own spiritual growth, although that's still important. But your priorities now are helping other people grow spiritually. And and so, uh, for example, a kingdom worker is intentional about helping others. Now, I want to tell you that some people take a long time to get here. Some people never get here. Some people get here, and then they fall back into chair two. Why? Because I said chair two is a very comfortable chair. It's like one of those uh, lazy boy recliners with the massage fingers in it and the heat, you know, that comes up through there because uh, chair two is very comfortable. There's a lot of obstacles. There are obstacles to get to chair three. Some of the obstacles are uh, worry. Worry is a big obstacle to get to chair three. So if I'm going to be intentional about helping people find Jesus, what if I don't know all the answers to their questions? Uh, what if I can't help them? What if I don't know where to point them in Scripture? Uh, when you become a, king, a kingdom worker, you, you have to, you know, kind of, you worry about those things. That's a, an obstacle. Uh, wealth is an obstacle to becoming a kingdom worker. Because if we're a kingdom worker and our priorities change to other people, then it's no longer so much about what I can buy for me and what I can afford. It's about how can I invest my money to help other people grow spiritually. Um, time. Time is an obstacle to becoming a kingdom worker because the the good thing about the way that Jesus taught us to make disciples is that anybody can do it. The hard part about it is it's it's darn hard work, and it takes time. And and some of you have chair one people in your life that you've been investing in for years, and they've never yet made this leap. And you get frustrated, and you just think, you know what, I don't have enough time for that anymore. I'm going to go back to chair two because it's nice and comfortable. So uh, time is an obstacle. Priorities are an obstacle. We've got to rearrange the priorities of our life if we're going to become a kingdom worker. But it's worth it. Because there are very few times in Scripture where we see Jesus full of joy. If you ever thought about that, the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus being full of joy very often. We know he was. But the most profound time I can think of is in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus gathers his disciples together, gathers 72 people together, 
And he sends them out into the towns and villages to go preach the gospel and perform miracles. And they come back, and they can't believe the results. They're just astonished by what they've seen, that even the demons submit to your name, they said. And they see people uh, coming into this new way of thinking, and they're healing people. And they come back, and they want to tell Jesus all about what they found. And, and Luke ten twenty one, I think it is, says, Jesus was filled with joy. That when we become kingdom workers, it fills Jesus with joy when we help other people grow in our relationship with Christ. We need to be all about that, about bringing Jesus joy. But as great as chair three is, there's yet another challenge. And it happened in John 15, right near the end of his life as Jesus was on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray, where he would be arrested, and then in the next couple days um, tried and crucified. And the challenge in John 15, 8, was go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. And so when they, he had these 12 men, or 11 of them at the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were ready, he made this challenge, go and bear fruit, and, and invited them into chair four. And chair four is what we would call a disciple maker. So whereas a chair two person says, uh, I, I want to grow in my relationship with Christ, a chair three person says, I want to help others grow in their relationship with Christ, a chair four person says, I want to reproduce this process in people. In fact, my friend and mentor Dan Spader says, you can't really be a chair four disciple maker until you've made a disciple who's made a disciple. Think about that. You're reproducing yourself. You're reproducing yourself in others. I, mean, I think about this. I had a visual aid, but I think the uh, janitor threw it away this week. I had an apple seed from an apple that I ate for lunch uh, this week. And I want you to think about an apple seed. You think about how big an apple seed is. It's like this, right? But an apple seed contains all the DNA. It has everything it needs to produce what? Apples, a tree, an orchard. An apple seed has all the DNA it needs to reproduce an orchard of apple trees that would bear much fruit, right? Every follower of Jesus has all the DNA they need to become a kingdom worker and then become a disciple maker. You ever thought about that? And so in John 15, 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus... Your number one priority, your number one goal in life, the purpose of your life is to bring God glory, right? How do we bring God glory? Bearing much fruit. Become a disciple maker. We've said that our goal as a church is to be a disciple making church. That means that we have to have a lot of people in our church that are making disciples. We've got to have a lot of disciple makers in our church, people that are out looking for chair one people and moving them to chair two. And then, so here's what's happened. Uh, Over the past, I don't know, 100 years or so, the church, especially the American church, has um, separated the Siamese twins of evangelism and discipleship. All right, so here's what I mean by that, uh, because those are kind of, that's a lot of churchy words, right? So evangelism is finding chair one people and bringing them into chair two. Some churches are all about evangelism. I want to go out. I want to reach, seek and save the lost. I want to get chair one people and move them into chair two. That's good. That's important. We celebrate that. Some churches are all about discipleship. We want to help believers grow, right? And so I want to take chair two people and I want to move them into chair three. I want to teach them more about the Bible. We're going to have some classes and workshops and we're going to do a lot of stuff that we're going to teach people more about their faith. And that's good too. But Jesus says, no, it's all of the above. 
It's all of the above. It's evangelism. It's discipleship. It's disciple-making. It's taking someone who's in chair one, making them into a follower, turning them into a kingdom worker, turning them into a disciple-maker. And in fact, in this passage in John 15, Jesus, with the vine, calls out four kinds of fruit. He says there are branches that bear no fruit. Right? If you're spiritually dead, you can't bear fruit. So seekers bear no fruit. There are branches that bear fruit. There are branches that bear more fruit. And then there are branches that bear much fruit. And Jesus says, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, this is a long process. This doesn't happen overnight. You can't be in chair one, make that leap to chair two, and go, okay, I want to go to chair four. You've got you to go through the steps, okay? You've got to become a disciple-making. But if we're going to be a disciple-making church, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take a couple of things. One, we all, all of us that are followers of Jesus, that are at least in chair two, we have to know this. Who are our few? Who are the few people that we're investing in? We've been talking about the last two weeks. Who are the few people? Uh, they could be chair one people. They could be chair two people. They could be chair three people. As long as, they're, as long as we're a little bit ahead of them, we can be investing in them and helping them grow in their faith. So that's one thing we need to know. The second thing we need to know is, what chair am I in? You know, where, where are you on this spectrum? And so a lot of people, before they hear this, will think I'm in chair four. Um, but you hear that and you go, well, you know what? I've still got a long way to go. That's what I thought when I heard it. I've got a long way to go in making disciples. And so here's what we want to do. Uh, we need to know, as a church, where our people are. Uh, you'd like to know where you are. And so we set up this survey. So if you have the Genesis Church app, open it up. Here's what we're going to do for a, we're going to give you a couple minutes here in the service. Um, and we want you to take this survey. It's just a few questions, four or five questions. And uh, if you have, if you open up the app, if you go to the weekend section, very first thing, it should say four chair survey. You can open that up. There are four or five questions. We're going to turn on some music. We're going to give you about two or three minutes to do that. And then I'll be back up to close. Give you about 30 more seconds. 
Some of you look like you're done. Some of you are still thinking. Okay, so what's your next step? Well, I want to point you to a couple things. If, if you're a chair two or chair three person and you're thinking, I, I wonder how I can develop that skill of helping other people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Uh, I want to tell you about something that we're doing on Saturday, December the 5th. We have an environment once a quarter or so that we call Leader's Edge, and it's usually on Tuesday night, and we invite all of our ministry team leaders and our connection group leaders to that. Well, instead, in the fourth quarter, instead of having Leader's Edge, what we're going to do is this Saturday morning workshop called a disciple-making workshop. And it's going to be all about helping people find and follow Jesus and how you as a chair two person or a chair three person can grow in those sets. We're going to have a big group session and we're going to have some breakout sessions that will help you reach your neighbors, reach your friends, reach your coworkers, grow in your own skill set so you can help people. Now that's on the app in the events section on December 5th. You can sign up for that today on the app or at genesischurch.me. If you didn't get to take the survey today, I want you to know that there's a few hard copies at the Info Hub. You can fill those out, and we'll incorporate those into the results as well. But then one more thing. If you're here today and you realize that you're in chair one, your next step is to make that leap into chair two, to decide to submit your life, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so you can do that today. I'm going to pray here in a minute, and uh, if you have questions about that, if you want to do that, you can, you can come up after the service. I'll be up here. Some of our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. We can help you find and follow Jesus even today, and you can be baptized today, even in the second service if you want. You just come find us after the service. But first, let me pray for you, and then we're going to go into a time of uh, worship through music and then baptisms. God, I'm so thankful for this pattern that you've given us, and Lord, the, the direction to follow the pattern of God, we want to do that, and Jesus, we want to do it as we make disciples. And so thank you so much for laying this out for us. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to follow you in every aspect of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.